Thank you, John. Uh, thank you, Praise Team. Good morning, College Hills. We are uh, really glad that you are here. I want to update you on a few things. Uh, first, uh, last week, Kevin interviewed Chris Plummer as he headed down to Miami, Florida to donate one of his kidneys to give that to his niece, Amorette. Thankfully, that surgery went really well. I got a text uh, from Julie and Chris this morning. Her kidney, her kidney was functioning about 48% yesterday. It's up to 60% today, and so we're going to continue for Amaret's recovery in a positive direction. Uh, Chris obviously um, is exhausted and is going to be there for a while, but things went well, so thank you uh, on behalf of the plumbers and their family for your prayers, and we want to continue uh, to pray for Chris and Amaret and their family as they uh, go through this journey together. So thank you for that. Um, as you walk through the building today, whether in class or in the lobby, you're going to notice some Easter cards. As you know, uh, we're just a few weeks away from Easter, uh, and we have these set out in classes and throughout the building as a way for you to, to put this on your fridge or invite someone to be here with us on April 17th. There's a schedule on the back, and we would love to have you here. So grab one of these today um, as a reminder of that event here in a few weeks, and hope we'll be having an event on Saturday uh, before and Johnny's going to say a little bit more about that later but I wanted to let you know these cards are available for you uh, to take with you today. Uh, we are currently moving through a series that Kevin has entitled I Am and today we're going to be looking at a passage in John 8 where Jesus tells us that he is the light of the world. So let's hear these words of John together. Early in the morning he came again to the temple all the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today, uh, for the gift of life that we've all been given, for the ways in which you sustain us, in ways that we can sometimes see and notice and in sometimes ways that we skip over or we fail to acknowledge you for it. So now we pause and we contemplate the gift of life that we have, not just the breath of life that gives us light, but that deeper life that we find in Jesus. And I pray today that you would Give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would reveal that light of life more fully to each of us and that that light would transform us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. 
And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In 2014, a book was created, a children's book, called Motion Silhouette. And the way this children's book worked, it was handmade by these two Japanese artists. And as you flip through the book, on each page there was a given pop-up. Now some of you have had pop-up books before, but this was a different kind of pop-up book because you weren't just supposed to look at the pop-up, you were supposed to interact with it with a light source. I want to show a quick video that gives you a brief glimpse into how this book was intended to work when it was released in 2014. As you can see from the video, the book was intended to be a dynamic object because light is dynamic. Light isn't static. And so the experience of the reader was not just to read the book, but to experience the book. In an interview with the creators of this book soon after it was released, they talked about how that was one of the points and purposes of the book, that they didn't want someone to engage the book kind of as a passive observer, but with a light source in hand, they wanted them to have an experience with the book. And I couldn't help but think of this book, Motion Silhouette, in light of our series in the Gospel of John. Because much like the authors of this book, the author of John's Gospel wants us to have an experience. He doesn't want us to just casually observe these writings and stories that he records. Pay attention to what he says at the very end of his gospel about why he is writing this gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John doesn't just want us to read this gospel. John wants us to believe. John wants us to have an encounter and an experience with Jesus. And so he lays out these various stories and statements of Jesus. Seven of them being these I am statements that Kevin began our series in last week. Each of these I am statements revealing something about the truth of who Jesus is. And the second reason that this book, Motion Silhouette, made me think of our passage today is because, no surprise, we are talking about light. And we're talking about Jesus as the light. Because for John, he couldn't help but talk about the person of Jesus. And he couldn't record the story of the good news of Jesus without talking about and reporting that Jesus referred to himself as light, and John refers to him as light. A quick survey of this word light will show you that the word gets used a lot, 16 times total in John's gospel. And as you can see, it's happening throughout the first half of John's gospel. I would encourage you to, to read through these, to kind of make some observations about what John is saying, but let me highlight two things that I noticed as I moved through each of these passages this past week. Number one, light, except for one time that it's referenced, is always referring to Jesus for John. So there's something about light for John that makes him talk about that always in association with Jesus, except once. And the second thing, as you will notice, and as I have listed them on the screen, the light of Jesus is always interacting in these very specific situations with very specific 
people in very specific circumstances. That the light is not generic, but it's very specific. And with each interaction of light or reference to light, the, the shades and shadows are cast a bit differently. In other words, where the impact of the light shows up in John's gospel gives insight into what it means to call Jesus the light. Now, we could make a whole series just moving through these one by one. But what I want to do today is I want to focus on one passage. The first time that Jesus uses this expression, I am the light of the world. He says it in John 8, 12. This is what he says. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this statement on its own already probably can spark our imagination about light because light is something that we deal with and interact with on a day-to-day basis. And if you're like me this week, you're thinking about light, you, you realize how much a part of our lives it is. And so this statement on its own makes us think about Jesus in probably some new and fresh ways, which is good. But like I said just a second ago, John places these references to the light of Jesus in certain places, I think, to give us certain insights into what it means to call Jesus the light of the world. In other words, I think it's really important that we pay attention to the context in which Jesus utters these words, I am the light of the world. And there's a couple of contexts that I think are particularly important for us to pay attention to. The first context that I want to take note of is the when and the where. When this is said and where it is said, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Because John 8 is a part of this larger section of teaching that starts in John 7 and runs through John 10. And if you go back one chapter to John chapter 7, you're going to read this about the when and where. About the middle of the festival, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. And from this moment on, until the early verses of chapter 10, we're going to read about these different teachings of Jesus. They're in the context of the temple, and they're in the context of the middle of the festival. Now, what festival is this? It's the festival of the tabernacles, the feast of the tabernacles. And and what this feast and festival was a part of and what it did was it it was this moment in the life of God's people where they remembered that time in the wilderness when God sustained them, where God provided for them. And there were two ways that God provided for them specifically, water from the rock, and the pillar of cloud and fire. That pillar of cloud and fire was was this thing, this illuminating presence of God that guided and sustained the people of God while they were in the wilderness. And one of the ways that the Jewish people would celebrate this particular feast of the tabernacles, the tabernacling of God with the people, was in the court of the temple. They would take four large oil lamps, thought to be about 75 feet tall each, and they would set them ablaze for the entire feast's duration. And so you hear these words of Jesus in kind of a new and fresh way if you begin to place yourself in this moment. Imagine 
I like to imagine it's either dusk where the sun's about to go down or maybe the sun has just gone down. And these are pre-electricity days. And so the entire landscape around the temple is pitch black. And they're standing in this place in the temple with these flames of fire ablaze around Jesus, glowing bright. He says, I am the light of the world. And if we can get in our imagination that when and where, all of a sudden, we begin to get insight into what it means to call Jesus the light of the world. Jesus is saying about himself in this temple, in the middle of this festival, that I am the illuminating presence of God here and now. That that future messianic hope, when light would shine brightly once and for all, it's happening now in me. I am the light of the world. I am the illuminating and sustaining and guiding presence of God. So that's this first context that I think we should pay attention to, to better hear what Jesus was saying when he called himself the light of the world. Now, the second context that I think is worth paying attention to is the who of this statement. And specifically, who is involved with Jesus right before he says, I am the light of the world. And this is what we read. It's our passage just a second ago, but I want to read it again. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Jesus said, she said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on do not sin again. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I think it's important to pay attention to what is happening right before Jesus makes this statement. That it comes on the heels of of this story that we typically think of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery, which is true, but it's partly true because there's also these scribes and Pharisees involved. It's not a story just about Jesus and this woman. It's also a story about Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees. And the reason why I want to include the scribes and Pharisees is because I think they and this woman have a lot more in common than we first might think. Because I think that they are both caught in their own kinds of darkness, whether they realize it or not. Because on the one hand, you have this woman who is caught in the darkness of sinful behavior, and it is leading her down a path that is not going to end well. It's not going to end with her flourishing. 
And then on the other hand, you have the scribes and Pharisees. And, and I would say that they are trapped in the darkness of sinful religion. And what I mean by that is they are using God and God's law to try to manipulate other people, to try to trick Jesus and test Jesus. They are trying to use God and God's law in order to rupture and destroy relationship, the exact opposite of the intention of God's law. And what I find fascinating and beautiful about the person of Jesus is to both of these groups caught in this darkness, he offers his light. To both of these individuals and groups of people who are caught in these awful kinds of darkness that are not going to end well for either of them, Jesus offers his impartial light and offers freedom, offers this liberation for the woman to, to be liberated with new opportunity, with a new chance to walk in this new way of life. And to the scribes and Pharisees, whether they realized it or not, I think he was also offering them liberation from this particular way of doing religion that was sinful and toxic and inviting them into this freedom where they could get back to the heart of God's law of loving God and loving neighbor, not trying to manipulate God and manipulate neighbor. To both of them, Jesus offers his liberating light in order for them to have a new kind of life. And so if you take all of these contexts together, the when and the where and the who of John 8, 12, all of a sudden this, this statement, I am the light of the world, I think, no pun intended, is illuminated even more. Because all of a sudden we begin to see that when Jesus calls himself this, he's, he's calling himself the illuminating presence of God that sustains the people of God whenever they find themselves in the wilderness. Jesus is saying about himself that that future messianic hope that you're longing for is happening in the here and now through me. That God's burning fire is happening in the person of Jesus. And because of that, Jesus is this kind of light that invites us to be liberated from all of those ways in which darkness can crowd in our hearts and minds and lives. Keeping this statement of Jesus in context helps us to see what it means for him to say, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world then, and I am the light of the world now. And that's the other context that I think we need to pay attention to this morning. Because the context of then is great. We can talk about that, explore that, tease that out all day long. But the purpose of John, to go back to the very beginning of the lesson, is not for us to just pontificate, but for us to have an experience with Jesus. For us to make a decision about what we are going to do with the light of Jesus. Are we going to be people who reject it or people who receive it? Because the thing about light, and the thing about the light of Jesus is, depending upon where it's shining, it can do all kinds of beautiful things. And so I don't know what it looks like or what it means for you to let the light of Jesus be something that you receive, maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time. Maybe for you it, it looks like a friend of mine 
who a few years ago, it was late one night, I was getting off 236, and my phone rang, and I was kind of surprised to see that this person was calling me. I picked up the phone, and, and before I could even say hello, I could hear her weeping on the other end of the phone. And the reason why she was so upset was, was because some things that had been going on in her life that no one was aware of, some ways in which darkness had just crowded in on her, were finally being exposed, and they were bubbling up, and the collateral damage of some decisions was coming out in the open. And she called to, to confess. She called to ask for forgiveness. She called because she wanted the light of Jesus again. And for the first few days and for the first few months, she was kind of like that moment when you walk out of a movie theater and you've been in the darkness so long that your, your eyes are squinting and you're almost blinded because you have grown so accustomed to the darkness. But in time, her eyes and her heart and her life adjusted to the light of Jesus. And over the last few years, she has been walking this beautiful path of light, shining brightly to the world around her. It may be like that for you. Or it may be like a preacher that I know of who about 20 years ago had, had a faith crisis. A and he thought that his faith crisis was if he believed in God or not. But as he became reflective about what was actually going on in his heart, he realized that it wasn't if he believed in God, but it was about the Jesus that he believed in and he had been preaching and proclaiming. Because he, because he became convicted that, that the Jesus that he was preaching was this Jesus who was propping up all of his preferences. It, it was this Jesus who had been so changed and morphed that it had really just become a, a Jesus of self-justification. And so he went on this long journey of allowing the light of Jesus to help him to see Jesus again. Maybe like that for you. Or it may be like an author this past week that I was reading, recording the story of his life, and he's at the end of his journey, and as he's looking back on his journey, he, he's talking about his seasons of ups and downs, of darkness and valleys. And now that he's getting to the end of his life, he can see how the light of Jesus was there, glowing all along, guiding him and sustaining him through all kinds of seasons. I don't know what it looks like for you to receive the light of Jesus. I don't know what it looks like for the, for the light of Jesus to hit your heart and your mind and your life. Because that's the thing about light. Depending on where it hits, it can do all kinds of beautiful things. But that is what John wants us to wrestle with. What are we going to do with this light? What are we going to do with the light of the world? What's really interesting about the I am statements is that it's the only I am statement of Jesus that also becomes an identity for the people of God. You are the light of the world. And I think that there's something to that in light of the song that we're about to sing. This song, Shine on Us, is this invitation to receive the light of Jesus. Like I said, maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time. But when we do, it changes us. It does something to us. It allows us then to become light to the world. And so we're going to stand and we're going to sing this song. And, and I don't know if the response is something private that you need to do. I don't know if the response is something public. 
I know that me and Kevin will be up front. We'll have shepherding couples in the back. Whatever your need is while we sing this song, you can make a response now while we stand and sing.